Let's affirm what we believe this morning. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is amazing. Psalm 118, my favorite Bible verse of all time. Makes sense being a worship pastor that that would be one of my favorite Bible verses of all time. 
You know that verse? Say it with me. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Or I will rejoice and be glad in it. We change it around a little bit because we're in the context of all of his children here at this church. Well, welcome to Covenant Church. It's a great day, as always, to be in God's house. Uh, welcome, especially if you're visiting with us this morning. You might be here uh, because of the elections. I don't know. You may have decided I should be in church, maybe. Um, if so, a special warm welcome to you. Our prayer is always that you would meet with God today. You would hear his voice. And you would meet with his people. And maybe meet somebody that might be a future friend. Before we continue, maybe turn and take somebody's hand and shake that hand. Tell them, hey, good morning. Welcome here. I'm glad you're here with me. We are in the second week of a two-week series that is really just sort of bookending the election process, and we're looking at what God's Word has to inform us on how we receive these uh, political things that happen, these elections. You know, how do we as Christians interact with the, ele with the election process, with our government, uh, and how do we seek wisdom from God's Word and what we should do and how we behave? Uh, how many of you were slightly surprised Wednesday morning when you woke up? Uh, I went to bed, a little, I stayed up a little bit, but then went to bed before it was finished. Uh, just, uh, just quite surprised. Uh, here's some other folks that were also quite surprised. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. That is the good news that we celebrate today in our worship service. Whether you were on one side of the election or the other side of the election, the beautiful truth is uh, found in Scripture, what the choir sang this morning as you may have been coming in and 
preparing your hearts for worship. Uh, I lift mine eyes to the help from which comes my help. Uh, who is this help? My help comes from the Lord. And that's what we look to today. We celebrate God's hand of guidance in our lives as we interact with our world as Christians. We look to God's word as to how we can go about that. And we pray. We pray for our nation. We rejoice in a new chapter. Who knows what it holds? But what role can we play as God's people in God's, God's kingdom? Would you stand? Let's continue our worship this morning. <clears throat> Affirm what we believe. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power. song we sang a few weeks ago. It's a new one. 
We'll ask you to join us on it. I have a home, eternal home. But for now, I walk this broken world. You walked it first. You know our pain. You showed hope can rise again up from the grave. Abide with me. Abide with me.
Those are comforting words for us because we know that right now life is hard. And yet for all times we know that God is good, that we have each other, and that we have been invited to abide with the one who can provide us with all that we need. If you watch what we do here during the Acts 14 moment over the course of several months, you'll see the full gospel expressed in all of its spectrum and all of its beauty. Everything from knowing Jesus to growing with his people to going to the world. And today we want to focus on the goodness of God as it's expressed in the fellowship of his people. And so today we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate what God is doing in and through the senior high ministry as last November 4th through 5th, 24 students and four leaders went on retreat to Camp Tecumseh. And I'd like to invite Jen Sanson forward to share a little bit more about that. We had a great time um, spending the weekend having a lot of fun, spending time in scripture and in worship. And we really focused on God's assur assurance and command to not worry or be anxious. This is Rebecca Chatterjee, and she is gonna share about a sweet time of provision from God. So on the retreat last week, God really met one of my needs. Uh, about a week before, my doctor told me that I had sleep insomnia, which explained why I had been having so much trouble sleeping. And so on the retreat, I, I didn't expect to sleep at all, and it actually got pretty worse leading up to the week before that. And I didn't expect to sleep well at all, especially in a camp bunk bed. Um, but I prayed to God that he would give me rest both physically and mentally. And I kind of half-heartedly prayed that prayer, not expecting him to answer. But in the morning, I woke up, and I realized that um, I wanted to get up, and I had the energy that I needed to face that day. And that was my first un uninterrupted night of sleep in about a month. And I was just so happy that God had given that to me and that he had answered my prayer. You're in the first service. Everybody else from the senior high retreat is over there in the retreat center. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to, to talk to Rebecca, talk to Jen, talk to anybody who went, because the kind of stories you heard from Rebecca, you'll hear from others too, because God is at work. So thank you both for sharing today. Appreciate it very much. It does take a lot of courage to come up here, and I just, Rebecca, way to go, man. Well done. You know, and as, as the body of Christ, we gather to encourage each other to celebrate what God has done and to anticipate what he's going to do. And so next week, November 20th, is a pretty significant time that I'd like us to anticipate. Because on November 20th, we're going to celebrate and, and think about what God has done through our regular, our annual Thanksgiving service. In other words, there's going to be microphones in the sanctuary, and you're going to be given the chance to come and share a story about what God has done in your life in the last year. So please come prepared to share. November 20th, next week, is also the week when we have the opportunity to share God's generosity with others by giving gifts to children around the world through Operation Christmas Child. You've heard a lot about that. Next week is the Sunday to bring your shoebox that we can dedicate it. It's not going to go out on Monday. It's got to go out on Sunday. So come early, but bring it by Sunday at the very latest. And after we encourage one another through the stories of God's work, and bless others through God's gifts. We're going to, as a congregation, gather downstairs to fellowship with one another over a carry-in lunch. And so we look forward to and anticipate what God's going to do in that time. As we, the Covenant Church family, gather with our multiple generations and our multiple iterations, those who, who, are, who are single, those who are married, those who have kids, those who don't have kids, those who are widowed, those who are divorced, those who are widowers. I mean, we're all part of God's family together, coming together to celebrate 
and to anticipate what God is doing through the blessing he gives us in Jesus Christ. So I look forward to seeing you next week. With that, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the promises you made centuries ago remain for us today. We acknowledge that you are eternal, that you existed before time, and that you will exist after time is gone. We celebrate that you are unchanging. You never change and never will change because you're perfect in all of your ways. We find peace in knowing that you are omniscient and that in one free and effortless moment you know all matter, all spirit, all relationships, and all events. And with that omniscience, you are sovereign, working out your purposes in our world and in every galaxy. And we find great hope in knowing that all this is wrapped up in your love, your mercy, your righteousness, and your holiness. Our world is like shifting sand in the wind, Lord, but you are the firm rock that cannot be moved. So we believe in you, and we believe your promises. But Lord, we're tempted many times to be shaken by many things in this world. We're shaken by our sin, Lord. We're shaken by that sinful nature that is contrary to your spirit. So we ask you to forgive us for the many ways that we stand against you and stand against your purposes with our words, our attitudes, our emotions, and our deeds. Show us our sin and show us the depth of your grace that we might be earnest and repent. We're also shaken by events around us, Lord. Shaken by the 65 million people forced from their homes for many reasons, much of which is violence. Shaken by our neighbors in Haiti who are battling cholera and the devastation that came from Hurricane Matthew shaken by the recent news of a massive earthquake in New Zealand and the tsunamis that are coming and people who are running and trying to find safety and who knows what the devastation is at this point. Lord, these things are all in your hands and we ask for your help. And Lord, in our own land, the recent elections have brought great tremors as well. And many are wondering what the future might hold for us. And so we are grateful for the checks and balances you have put into our government and pray that you would bring godly, wise counsel and an open, compassionate, and listening heart to this next administration. And even more close to home, whether it happens to us or to those we love, we're all shaken by disease and personal struggle as ones we know and love wrestle with the decay of this life, their minds and of their bodies, and the struggles of spirit. Lord, as they pass through our minds, we pray for them and ask your blessing and help. Oh, great and mighty God, transcendent and beyond our ability to fully comprehend, be small to us today. Be small enough to draw close, to hold us, and to whisper your words of comfort and hope into our ears. Come to us. Show us that we still matter to you and help us surrender our concerns into your strong, capable, and loving hands. Amen.
was crying from the dark of Daniel's den. And I have asked you once or twice if you would part the sea again. But tonight I do not need a fiery pillar in the sky. Just want to know you're going to hold me if I start to cry. Oh, great God, be small enough to hear me now. Oh, great God, be close enough to feel you now. There have been moments when I could not face Goliath on my own. And how could I forget we'd marched around our share of Jericho? Everything will be alright. Oh, great God, be close enough to feel me now. All praise and all the honor be to the God of ancient mysteries, whose every sign and wonder turn the pages of our history but tonight my heart is heavy and i cannot keep from whispering this prayer are you there
Well, good morning. My name is Tom Johnson, and like many of you, uh, I'm a little puzzled by politics and wondering what's a Christian to do. Well, uh, if you look back on the week, some of you might say, well, that was completely unexpected, wasn't it? Did that, is that at all what anyone expected? I think today we, we look at the pundits and the pollsters and the prognosticators, and we know they're all scratching their heads saying, I wonder if I'll have a job next year. You know, after last Sunday, Rob Iman had someone come up to him after the sermon, and uh, that was the sermon where David told us exactly who to vote for. <laughs> if you weren't here, boy, I bet you wish you were now. Uh, that's not exactly true. But Rob had a person come up to him and said, I have the perfect verse from Ecclesiastes that David didn't mention that should have been told us everything about how we needed to vote, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2, a wise man's heart leans to the right, but a fool to the left. <laughs> now, we all know that a verse like that cannot be taken literally into this context, right? It's cute, but not helpful. So how should we engage politics in, the so in our society? What does it mean to be the people of God, to be salt and light uh, in this moment in time? What is the goal of political engagement? Is it to stem the tide of moral erosion, to embody hope, to reclaim the nation, to seek justice, to love our neighbor? Before we go into that, I want to address what I see maybe here not as much, but certainly here some, is a growing divide amongst Christians. So let me take you back to the days just before the election and just after. As a follower of Christ, do you remember how you felt on Monday and relatively, say, to 7 or 8 o'clock on Tuesday of the election day? Do you remember how you felt? If you were for the Republican candidate, you probably felt anxious, angry maybe, scared. You felt fearful that the direction of the nation might be spinning out of control, that a particular set of your values were about to be trampled underfoot, maybe forever, right? As a follower of Christ, if you remember how you felt the day after the election, if you were for the Democratic candidate. You probably felt anxious, angry, scared. You felt fearful that the direction of the nation was spinning out of control, that a particular set of your values were about to be trampled underfoot forever, right? So what's going on here? It's division. It's societal division spilling into the church. You know, the first round of analysis after the election tells us this. The great allegiance of the electorate was not to gender, it wasn't to race, it was to partisanship. And partisanship is simply the allegiance to a person, a group, a cause, or a party, especially of a person who shows a, a biased emotional allegiance. Michael Ware, uh, in an article in Christianity Today, said today's partisanship is driven by identity politics. 
Politics has become tribal with more Americans staking their identity and their political views and with those who agree with them than anything else. Than anything else. Our politics is now defining us in the deepest ways. Maybe that explains some of the shocking things that people have been saying to each other during this election cycle. Some of it's in the news, but an awful lot of it's in social media. Some of that I might have expected for those outside the church, but I really didn't expect to hear and see the things I've seen from those who are within the church. Let me give you just a little social media critique. If you wouldn't say it to their face, with the goal of seeking to understand rather than to be understood, then don't post it. And certainly don't repost it. But I want to say to those of you who have been active online, who've been agents of peace and reason, well done. Well done. On this issue of division, I heard the president the day after the election in the Rose Garden say something which I thought was significant. He was calling us away from the divide. He said the day after the election, we are on one team. This was an intramural scrimmage. We aren't Democrats first. We aren't Republicans first. We're Americans first. And we all want what's best for this country. I thought for all that was right in his words, something seemed to be missing for us, the church. Whether we identify ourselves on the left or on the right. I thought, isn't our primary allegiance to something larger? Isn't it to the king and to his values, even as we ponder politics? And because these values are revealed to us and intended for the whole world, they must be primary in our practice of politics as followers of Christ. So how could we, the people of the living God, many of us, not all, become captured by politics and then to begin to ground our identity and our political views more than anything else. You know, isn't that really the classical definition of idolatry? Making something short of God to be God for us, something more important than his kingship or rule. And then when we begin to fight over political battles with weapons that the world uses, with hate and vitriol, just not the kind of follower of Christ that I want us to be. It's not the kind of society that we want to create. Or have we become wiser than God? Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It won't be up on the slide. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I get it. The body of Christ is messy, and Paul gets it too. Patience, humility, gentleness, and conversation that has us close enough to the person we disagree with 
that we can bear with one another. That we can be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. The world is watching, and honestly, they're confused right now. One acquaintance who's outside the church and looking in posted this. He says, I have a hard time understanding how a large percentage of the Christian right is still supporting Trump. And this post came before the Access Hollywood video. He says, kindness and selflessness, compassion and empathy. These are virtues of Christianity, aren't they? I don't get it. It seems like a crazy amount of people are willing to throw their values out the window. I feel just as strongly and sad that we ended up with Hillary on the other side of the fence. But he's confused. Similar things have been said uh, on the right about people outside the faith wondering how Christians could ever vote for Hillary, too. It seems we are becoming better known for whom we vote for than being citizens of the kingdom, offering a new and richer way to be human while serving our fellow humans. Many, it seems, have sold their birthright for a bowl of political porridge and have abandoned our God-intended voice of prophetic wisdom and correction for each party. This seems almost to be a time of sifting within the church. C.S. Lewis understood the temptation to seek personal meaning in politics, and he said this. He said, a sick society must think much about politics, just as a sick man must think much about his digestion. But if the society or the man comes to regard politics or digestion, digestion as the natural food of the mind, if either forgets that we think of such things only to be ordered to th- able to be thinking of something else, then what was untaken for the sake of health has become itself a new and a deadly disease. Our culture certainly, and to a degree, many within the evangelical church are sick with this new and deadly disease. Politics is causing great spiritual harm to American lives, and for a big reason is that Americans are going to politics to have their spiritual needs met, and that is idolatry. But some might say, wait, I'm standing where I'm standing to support God and his values. Let me take you back to last week and some of the things that David said in his sermon. Last week, David made clear that no political party has a corner on God's design for humanity. None. As an example, he said, one party cares for a child more before it's born, while another cares more for the child after it's born. One part puts an emphasis on, party puts an emphasis on caring for victims, while the other emphasizes the need for personal responsibility. One party focuses on law and order, and another on equity under that same law. And I'd add, one party focuses on secure borders and national safety, while the other wants to welcome the immigrant, acknowledging, and certainly within the church, God's clear call to love the alien in your midst because you were once aliens in Egypt. And for a nation of immigrants, we were ourselves almost all immigrants. As followers of Christ, doesn't compassion and lead us to want all of that on both sides 
Isn't it healthy to engage in politics in a different way? Instead of our feet firmly planted in politics, they need to be firmly planted in an understanding of the heart of God and of the ways of God to engage. Politics is not a foundation that can bear the weight of our best aspirations. So what is? What is strong enough to bear the weight of a follower of Christ's aspirations? Michael Ware, who I mentioned earlier, says the safest place to engage in politics is with our feet firmly planted in the gospel of the kingdom, allowing our spiritual needs to be met by God, humbly submitting ourselves to his wisdom and to his words, and thus being freed up to engage in politics uh, in a pursuit of a different goal than simply our candidate winning an election or pressing an agenda a goal of the well-being of our neighbor, our community, our nation, and our world. That's a kingdom vision. If we live like this, we will have the freedom and the capacity to bear one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ in our political engagement. The New Testament tells us that the most important political fact anyone can ever know is that God has established his son, Jesus, as the ruler of all things and is actively putting all things under his feet. That this same son bids us to join him on his mission. And one day he will fully and finally, he will establish his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. As we think about how we engage in politics and societal change, a word of warning. As we engage in politics and societal issues, there's a real danger. For many of us as Christians, we want to to demonstrate a good witness to Jesus in the public square. And that is a very good thing. But we must be careful not to let the culture decide what constitutes a good witness. If we do and we lean left, we will want to champion causes appreciated by the left, and if we lean right, we will want to do only the same thing there. Far better that we wrestle with one another. Far better that we build a biblically faithful consensus than divide our society over issues of race and gender and party and sexuality. We want a good thing, and we want a good witness. We want the not-yet-Christians to see that we are on the righteous side with the hope that we might somehow then, enter, they might entertain Jesus. But how much better in the process if they get a taste of new creation? Now, when they see a movement of people, despite serious political difference as well as ethnic and racial divides, a people who still listen to one another, a people who still practice healthy compromise, still work together for the common good of all, still pray and worship together, still honor one another, still forgive and restore each other, and warmly calls each other brother and sister in Christ, no matter the divide, there are no divorces within the church. Not on these issues. I would be better to cut off my hand or to cut off my nose. You know, we might have been wiser as we engaged in this election if we've been more aware of the doctrine of original sin, 
It tells us in our initial and dangerous, our ongoing selves, we tend to justify ourselves while doing the very things we condemn. Too much online conversation has gone like this. I can't believe what a fool you are for supporting that fool. So you're a fool, your candidate's a fool, and I'm the ultimate judge. Original sin playing itself out, even as we are trying to converse with one another. And then we divide ourselves into more and more narrowly like-minded, self-affirming groups over our passions. And we have no voice for the world. Listen once more to Paul's words that I think give more depth to, uh, to this issue than my simple thoughts. Out of Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and the renewal of the Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things to you so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. They are unprofitable and useless. This is the posture of the heart that we need as we engage in political conversation with our neighbors, and especially with those within the church and equally with those beyond us in the world. History tells us that societies tend to decay over time. Decay and fracture and fragment. Our world needs pictures of a different kind of humanity, of people who are diverse in so many ways, but yet who are united around one most important thing, loving the king and serving Jesus while loving and bringing peace and justice to every aspect of our broken world. What are the means of political engagement? Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 16 say this. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine to others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The idea is that if we are servants of the king, there are certain ways that we act 
and that we do act. A vote is a simple thing, isn't it? The challenge is to throw the weight of our life into making a difference. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-12 through 12 says this, talking about means. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. These are good deeds that benefit all of humanity. All of humanity. One more. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39. Teacher, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So who is my neighbor? It's everyone who has needs. Everyone who has needs. So what is the goal then of political engagement? What is the goal of political engagement? Is it to just sort of hang on to the culture? Or is it to enrich the culture? Micah 6.8 says this, He or God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Many who are here may feel a revulsion with politics at this point in time. I don't know about you, but the days after, I sort of began to wonder, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to read? (laughs) What am I going to listen to? But others may feel more strongly than ever that you want to engage with politics. Don't push away from the table if you're the first. But be careful how you engage if you're the second. Here's what the scripture is saying we must do. As the people of God, we are not allowed to simply have views and sit quietly. We must act justly. We must love mercy. And in doing it, you must show humility. Our community and our neighbors need us more than ever right now to be a picture of salt and light, a city on a hill. Something beautiful and attractive, not something simply partisan. We must carry forward a gospel that declares Jesus and King and displays acts which show his gracious, what his gracious reign looks like. Be salt. Be light. Let your light shine. Do works that display God's justice. Make it better if ever you can and wherever you can. Do more than vote. Act. Show mercy. Walk humbly. 
Listen more than you speak. And again, walk humbly with your God. There has been too much posturing, too much pride, too much division. And some of it has been sown by us. The very people that are supposed to be the picture of the king and the kingdom and his peace and his reign. The best way for, the politic, for us to get the politics, our nation to get the politics it needs, is for us to become the kind of people our politics needs. Doing it his way. Living his way. Listening to our neighbor more than wanting them to hear us. Social media is terrible for this. Terrible. It's a, it's a lob of a grenade over the fence and a running to hide. Instead of a handshake across the fence, healing the divide. One last verse. I've got a couple extra minutes here. It's not just a verse, it's lots of verses. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 11 say this to us and challenge us to really live out our faith in the world, making a difference. Not simply voting, but making a difference. Isaiah says this, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? And this is God speaking. Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, and with the point of the finger and malicious talk, And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. We are the body of Christ. Our posture towards politics is more important to God than the particular politics that we hold. Our willingness to unite with others and to listen to one another and to cooperate and to compromise and to listen and to come to an agreement so that we look like the body of Christ instead of we look like the world. The best way for our nation to get the politics that it needs is for us to become the kind of people our politics needs. As we uh, finish, I want to read for you a uh, sort of a benediction or a prayer over us. So would you pray with me?
May we remember that all politics and all platforms and all legalities and all borders and all leaders are temporary. May we recall that the political movements and boundaries and personalities and programs are here one day and gone the next. That all these things pass away. May we resist the temptation to place ultimate trust in any person, policy, party, movement, or even nation. Even a beautiful idea that is emboldened by a nation because there is no nation with an eternal foundation. There is a city from God alone with an eternal foundation for which we have been made members. May we know that your kingdom is not of this world, but of the world that is coming to this world and not yet here. May we in the same breath grasp the engagement with things of the world and not try to escape from it, away from its darkest realities. Help us to be willing to be that sacrificial person, to pattern ourselves after Jesus and to put ourselves the place where dark realities live. May we discover your role in the just and merciful governance of the world that you made and pursue that world-changing vocation with love amid the world's brokenness. May we see your work in the world, all of our callings and our activities. May we see them as participation in bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear. May we be strengthened and may we see beauty and determination and wisdom to love our neighbor. May we have that within us. And our enemy as well, seeking with all persons to bring mercy and justice and lasting peace. May we perceive you as the all-wise God who in Christ began to embody the beauty of a new humanity. And may we trust in God's providence and in his working behind the scenes of history to draw all things together for good, fitting, and a proper end that honors the King. May we be the people of the living God, living out your priorities in a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's close our service today by asking God once again to be our vision. Would you stand?
are the people of the living God. You are his representatives, his representation of himself to the world. Live, live as children of the king. Live with the model and the values of the king primary in your life. And live as collectively, as the people of God, as the central means of how he intends to bring about justice and mercy. Walk humbly with your God. The people of God together said, Amen. Amen.